0: In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete, or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you no scripts, just real dialogue. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Rob Reynolds. He's a healthcare TA leader with over 20 years of healthcare talent acquisition experience. Rob not only brings his talent acquisition knowledge to the trenches today, but he's also a U.S. Army veteran with combat medical experience. Rob's specialty is streamlining and running lean operations, and he has a wide breadth of major projects he's deployed, including implementing new technology like text, video, and interviewing, as well as managing contingent labor spend and running an operations with tight budgets. Rob, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me
0: yeah i'm 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 been excited about the opportunity to to sit and and chat and riff with you today and you know i I think let's let's just jump right in you know we we for many and and actually was out at h r tech here a few weeks ago a lot of talk about budget season you know and so that's that's where we're at here in late october right and you know for for a lot of us you know we we've got to kind of pick and choose and prioritize some of the strategies that we're working on yet You know, I I read this, you know, last week, and it was a jobs report, right? And so healthcare sector jobs show the greatest two-month growth since the pandemic recovery, right? Um, And so some of the highlights from this uh, report were that we in healthcare, right, we added uh, close to 71,000 jobs, um, you know, in in this report. And so this is a report from August timeframe and um that was a significant upward revision since the the July report and so um a two month increase of nearly 144,000 jobs and so that that was the the largest increase um since since covid and so you know i i guess i'm just curious right from your perspective and you've been through you know a lot of these you know upswings and then downswings and and have had to deal with a lot of you know budget cycles as well you know, what do you prioritize, you know, this this go around? How, how do you look at that, you know, when there's a dichotomy of like, hey, yeah, we still got a lot of jobs to fill on the full-time side. We're trying to get agency out, but yet budgets are tight.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you have to do is maintain tightness with the business to understand what their priorities are. You know, you could have part of your business that's in just a, a maintained strategy, but another location that's in a growth so it it really is maintaining that closeness to the business operations team to make sure that you have an understanding of what the priorities are. You know, we always talk about forecasting and five, 10 year plans, and those are great. And we need those, but you also have to maintain maintain your closeness with well, what is also needed right now. Right. right? Because as we see major shifts in things like the economy or, you know, the jobs reports, or insurance, or, you know, Medicare spending, and all of these things, it can easily change, you know, the dynamics of an organization, especially depending on your payer mix. And so having either yourself, the TA leader, having a seat at that table, or having one of your leaders have a seat at that table, but understanding what information you need I think is critical because once you have an understanding of what the focus is on the business or from the business, I should say, it makes a difference on what you can prioritize, right? There are definitely going to be times in healthcare where say your IT roles are some of the most important that you need. Like if you're doing a new EMR implementation, or if you're putting in a new ERP system, you really need to make sure that you have those resources available. But at the same time, there are going to be times where those needs aren't as great and you need to shift your resources to focus on filling clinical roles yeah. or whatever the case may be. So I, I think that closeness to the business to understand what their priorities are is key because their priorities really do drive our priorities. Yeah.
0: It's interesting, right? And, and so we're having this, is having this workforce, you know, to, to your point, this workforce strategy, workforce forecasting conversation with the head of talent acquisition here actually earlier this week, right? And and it, it's this idea, you know, to, to your point, like what are we actually trying to accomplish out of building a workforce strategy, if you will? Are we trying to accomplish the idea of like, hey, I think I'm going to need X of this. And so I need to make sure my my pipeline looks like Y. Or am I trying to hire in advance of attrition, right? And And so I, I love this idea of being maybe a bit more tactical about it and, and, and aligning, you know, the prioritization, you know, with the business. And I've had some experience in the past with, you know, this idea of, you know, as positions are coming through an approval process, you know, maybe being a little bit more nuanced about what is priority one, what is priority two, and what is priority three, do you have any advice on, you know, Hey easy say like let's prioritize this you know, these thousand wrecks that we have but the reality is is those thousand recs have 800 hiring managers behind them or 500 hiring managers behind them and they believe that their position out of all of them is the highest priority. but yet the senior leaders might disagree with that like do you have any tips or tricks for how you get alignment inside of the business you know when you've got that level of complexity and that many humans, kind of influencing decision-making and, and moving you know, talent acquisitions time around?
1: Yeah, so this, this reminds me of when you know, COVID hit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So the organization that I was at is based in Phoenix, seven hospitals. We averaged maybe 2,000 openings at a time and we dropped down to maybe two 300 mm-hmm. at the worst of COVID, right? But every rec was prioritized. It was red, yellow, green. If it was red, it got canceled
2: mm-hmm. or
1: just not approved through position control. If it was yellow, we could post for it, but they didn't want any advertising done. They didn't want any proactive work done. It was the, if a candidate applies, great. Get approval before you make an offer. Mm-hmm. Green, so
0: throw it over. So yellows, throw it over the
1: wall. Throw it over means. the fence.
0: Yep. No, yep, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in recruitment, exactly. sourcing for you, marketing for you, throw right. it over. And then if you want to do something, come back to me.
1: Yeah, we would have to get the approval. Now, the greens, mm-hmm. those were the full court press. Mm-hmm. Those were you do your marketing plans, you do your normal recruitment process, your sourcing, your screening, your interviewing, and you making your offers. Mm-hmm. Now, once things really kind of came back to what is now our new normal before I left that organization, we did a position control process where there was a lot more scrutiny to get a rec approved on the front end yep. and as part of that we did we built in a prioritization where when position control committee would meet they would kind of tell us is this you know business as usual
2: mm-hmm.
1: is this a high priority or is this a throw it over the fence and mm-hmm. see what sticks? Mm-hmm. So it, it worked really well. And I think the reason that we were able to accomplish that is because our CHRO had a seat at that table, was mm. part of that position control committee. And I was able to work with him to say, we need a better understanding of what the organization needs are now that basically everything we had been planning for the year is out the window Yeah, with COPE. So it worked really, really well. We have, in my current organization, we have decentralized position control at our various locations. Okay. And not all of them do the prioritization for us. But when we meet with our, our, our leadership, the administrators, they do it uh, a lot of times in pockets. And it mm-hmm. works really well for us, for, mm-hmm. for us to be able to say, well, what are the greatest needs of the business, right? And we can get a lot of that information from what we call our client relationship liaison. And these are folks that basically have that seat at the table with our administrative team. Okay. And they're... Well, what
0: level are those folks? Are those like manager level? or are they 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 professional level? or are they like your level? Like leadership? Like where oh, they can... Oh, no. These
1: are, these are several levels above me. So in a normal oh, no. organization, they would be a vice president level type okay. of role All typically. Right. Uh, or at the minimum, a director role if they have a smaller client subset.
2: But what these folks
1: are doing is making sure that we understand what those needs of the business are so we know where we can focus.
0: Hmm. How often do they meet with the business?
1: It varies depending. A lot of times it's weekly. Hmm. Like at one of our locations, they're meeting with that clinical administrative team every single Monday. Hmm. And And they're reviewing everything. They're looking at the needs of the business. What are the focus areas? And I think a lot of it, too, also makes sure that you have the right data. Mm -hmm. Right, so like for me, I can go out into a Tableau dashboard any day and look at vacancy rate in any individual cost center within the organization by job. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right, and I can look at that, and that helps me as a lead, which is great because I can then shift my individual resources. But what's interesting is is that the vacancy rate doesn't always drive everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could have an area that's a vacancy rate, but it's okay. Because maybe that's not an area that's critical to the business right
2: now, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right?
1: There could be areas where maybe the vacancy rate is a bit lower, but the role is more critical. And Mm -hmm. and I'll use an example of like rad techs. Maybe maybe the vacancy rate isn't super low or super high, I should say. But what if we're shutting down scanners? That's a Mm -hmm. huge revenue loss, Mm -hmm. right? Or if, if a surgical techs aren't available and we're shutting down OR. Mm-hmm. Not only is that a big revenue loss but of course now the biggest impact of course is that we're not taking care of our patients. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though that vacancy rate may be lower, you know, the opening rate may be lower, it may be a more important position to fill quickly versus something that has a higher vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. So now, now now now
0: the the positions that are prioritized by these client liaisons who are, you know, you know, higher levels inside the organization so they they've got maybe the ability to negotiate, move some things around. Like, you know, OR number one is about to close down. Right. And, And so you have been engaging with, you know, you meaning the business has been engaging with the talent acquisition leadership. They set the priority, you know, on a Monday, let's say it's this Monday, right? They, they set it and they go, what happens if that position doesn't get filled? Does that continually come back and is that getting escalated? Is that position getting critiqued at different levels? like what kind of pressure if you will does that prioritization set on not only talent acquisition and you know and, and and certainly there's pressure there but that hiring manager right like what what level of of oomph does that light if you will give that position to actually get filled which is
1: what we all want it should realistically you know the longer it takes the more pressure it should get we should be mm-hmm. looking at the entire continuum why aren't we filling the role, right? Mm -hmm. And it it could be, we don't have enough candidates. It could be the pay scale is not high enough. It could be that the hiring manager is not moving fast enough. They maybe won't make a decision. They're not willing to take a new grad. I mean, all of those need to be looked at, right? Mm -hmm. You should be doing, you know, a process map analysis to look at how much time are you spending in each step of the interview process,
0: right? When does the CHRO get involved? When does that level of the organization get involved on that detail, right? And so, like, hey, we're we're trying to inter we're trying to influence this to this test the staffing issue to to get resolved. And you know, I I loved the the fact that 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 you said, you know, hey, like, I've got my chro involved. I've got them involved through reporting. I've got them involved through weekly cadence and weekly dialogue. Do they get involved in that level in in a successful model? Is in essence what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, at my like at my last organization, I had I had standing meetings with the enterprise CNO, mm-hmm. and you know when we had a if we ever had a situation where so let's say the hiring manager was the problem, I would I would have that conversation with her directly,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I would mm-hmm. provide the detail, I would provide the analytics, you know, to be able to show that that way they're not just relying on my work. So um,
0: analytics if, like hey time like th- this is how long it's taking your hiring manager to to. Yeah free up their calendar to schedule interviews. This is how long it's taking for, you know, them to get back to my recruiter. This is how long it's taking them to make decisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We would look mm-hmm. at, when we had a, at that organization, we used ISOMS and we had some really great reporting built out to where we could look at individual time and in, in individual statuses, right? So mm-hmm. on average on that rec, candidates sat in new for X number of days. And oh. then in this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get through and show most of the time, the delay was in the hiring managers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we had what I would consider to be one of the best-in-class best practices where you know, recruiters didn't just forward resumes, right? Mm-hmm. Recruiters screened the resumes. They took the top five candidates, narrowed it down, and just scheduled three of them on the manager's calendar. Direct right? scheduling. Yeah. And that was mm-hmm. the first time the manager saw the resume. So they're only interviewing three candidates. It shouldn't mm-hmm. take that long. And Mm -hmm. so we could show that because, again, the recruiter was the one moving them through these different steps and statuses. The only one the manager had to do was move from interview to offer or interview Mm -hmm. to rejected. And we Mm -hmm. could see that time of how long it was taking. And it made a huge difference to be able to get that level of data. Mm -hmm. And all of that data was being exported out to Power BI, Microsoft Power BI. And we could do it by job code in each cost center for each of the hospitals. Right, mm-hmm. and I had it. So if I was in a meeting with somebody, I have on my tablet, be able to dial it right up, and just hand them the tablet and say, "Here's all your data for your individual positions at your by supervisor by everything."
0: Yeah,
1: and it instantly what, like with like with like what the,
0: uh, that's where I was going to go. Like, what was their reaction when they experienced some data insights maybe for the first time that? Hey, maybe, maybe recruitment isn't the problem here right now, right? Like, what what kind of reactions would you get?
1: A lot of times it was that kind of light bulb moment where it really made them go, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a, we had an example at my current organization where I I was, I was covering for another director in one of his service lines. And all they wanted to say was, we need more candidates. We need more candidates. We don't have Mm -hmm. enough candidates. Mm -hmm. We're not doing enough interviews. Mm -hmm. But when we looked at the data. We had tons of candidates and they just weren't getting interviews. Mm -hmm. So that led us to, let's find out why. What it came down to was the managers didn't have enough time to interview the candidates. Mm -hmm. So we went to a centralized interviewing pool. We -hmm. had one person that did all of the different interviews. It was a lower level position. And then they kind of decided, okay, you'd be a fit for this unit. You feed this unit, you feed this unit. And they got the authority to make hires for those departments. We filled every one of their openings in 30 days.
0: The recruiters had authorization to make hires, direct it hires. It wasn't themselves. a
1: recruiter, it was a nursing leader.
0: So Liaise. it was basically yeah. took it on for the entire department. Yeah.
1: Exactly. That's, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it worked amazing. And it, it wasn't a matter of, yeah, the managers weren't interviewing enough, but it wasn't because we didn't have enough candidates. It was yeah. because they didn't have enough time to interview. Yeah. But when the leadership was looking at it, they just heard, we don't have enough interviews but when you were able to show them the data we were able to pivot and have this other experience and it made it so much better
0: yeah so so you're obviously you know extremely data oriented extremely extremely process oriented when when you're in in the you know let's call it the rhythm the heartbeat of 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 a team and so you know whether it's the weekly rhythm or the daily rhythm or the monthly rhythm if you will What are some of the leading metrics that you like to keep an eye on that kind of give you a sense of whether or not your team is operating the way it should? So like the things that you can control, like, yeah, I can't control the managers and, you know, what what maybe they're doing, but I certainly can influence and control the team that I'm responsible for. Well, what are some of the leading metrics that you like to, you know, keep an eye on to track, to trend, to communicate around, to, to you know, again, understand if you got a healthy team or not?
1: Yeah. So one of the ones that I like to look at is the length of time it takes to screen a candidate, right? Mm-hmm. So from the time that candidate enters the ATS to the time the recruiters reviewed it and made a decision. Mm -hmm. Because that can can tell me a couple of things, right? Are they overworked because they're doing so much other stuff that usually takes priority that they can't look at new applications? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other ones that I like to look at is uh, time it takes to schedule an interview. So we have Mm -hmm. an interview scheduling team at my organization where HR schedules about 50% of the enterprise's interviews. Mm -hmm. I like to look at the amount of time it takes from when the request is received to when the interview is scheduled. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily when it's complete because we don't necessarily control their calendar, but how long did it take us to reach the candidate, get a date confirmed? Mm-hmm. Uh, you
0: said like that. on a time and stage new, for example, and for, you know, the, the interview ones, mm-hmm. do you set SLAs around those? Like do yeah, your recruiters do. know what your expectations are around how long a candidate sits in, in a new stage? Oh.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have formalized SLAs. They're written, they're shared with not only our team, but they're shared mm-hmm. with our hiring managers and our mm-hmm. clients. That mm-hmm. way they know the expectations as well. Yeah. You know, that transparency, I think, is key.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, one of the other ones that I like to measure is the length of time it takes from when an offer is requested until we've reached out to the candidate. Mm. Um, not, necessarily when yep. you, yeah, not necessarily when the offer is accepted because we can't mm-hmm. control if they want to think about it or not so much. But I want to know, when did you, you know, how long did it take you from when a hiring manager requested an offer Mm -hmm. for you to put the offer amount together, do the due diligence and give that candidate a call Yeah, uh, to see and make sure that we're doing that within 24 hours. Right. Mm -hmm. We want that, you know, ideally to be same day if possible, but at least within 24 hours, we want that candidate to have that offer in their hand as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah. We've even piloted it in some of our entry level areas where the hiring manager, if they know they wanna offer, they're telling that candidate in the meeting, hey, we're going to be making an offer. Let's schedule a time for my recruiter to call you. And the hiring manager is setting that appointment and putting it on the recruiter's calendar. That way we can, we, that candidate knows when to expect that call. That way there's a lot less phone tag and that has worked extremely well, as well as the texting. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially for our clinical positions, you know, nurses are walking around on the floor. They're not checking their email. They're not answering their cell phone, but they're Mm -hmm. all wearing a smartwatch. Yeah. And so they can look at that and see, oh, I got an offer coming in. I'm going to call that person back when I have the chance to. Mm -hmm. And that has really made a difference as well.
2: Hmm.
0: So that that texting that you're talking about, that's texting coming out of the ATS, alerting them to these statuses, or this is just the recruiters being proactive and communicating with their hiring uh, managers.
1: Yeah. So currently we don't have one that's integrated with our ATS because we just yeah. went live with a new ATS. Yeah. yeah. Um, so right now we have a standalone product that we use. So they just mm-hmm. they log in and they use a Chrome extension and they just fire Pretty away easy. a text message. Yeah.
0: Pretty so easy. Really just well. keeping them in the loop. And then, right. yeah, that's great. When, when you think about, you know, some of the challenges that recruiters face kind of, you know, again, where we started this conversation, <clears throat> this dichotomy of you know, tight expenses, but yet we still got a lot of jobs to fill here, right? Uh, you know, even pair away and and maybe cut back on our admin jobs. but I mean, we still need to fill nurses to get rid of agency, right? Well what do you think are some of the the bigger challenges that recruiters are facing today in this environment that that we're in? And you know, I guess maybe what are some things that you're thinking about to to maybe help them become more efficient or productive or 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 whatever? within that within their teams
1: i think some of the biggest challenges that we're facing is a lot of organizations have looked at their tech stacks and have made changes to their tech stacks but haven't necessarily haven't necessarily trained their staff on their tech mm-hmm. stacks as well if they'd like i mean yeah. we have a you know we've seen over the last couple of years that a lot of the recruiters will come in and they'll say that they have an experience with a specific ATS and when they get here they really they either don't know how to use the ATS as well as we'd hoped mm-hmm. or our ATSs and stuff are now so customized mm-hmm. and so specific which is great but then it's so new that they have to learn it all over from scratch anyway yeah. so it really doesn't make a difference if they've used it or not yeah i think one of the things that we need to focus on is making sure that our staff use the tools that we have available to them to make them as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's things like, you know, great, we've got, you know, my organization has HireVue, making sure that we're using HireVue as a, a, a screening tool, Use, you know, taking advantage of all of its capabilities. Yeah, If your ATS allows you to do scoring on, you know, application questions, Take that extra five minutes to set it up when you're posting the rec because it will make dividends when you're screening your resumes later. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big challenges that we have is that we've all asked our staffs to do more with less or just to take on more in general. And so there are some of those things that we do, which are major time savers, but they take time to set up. Yep. And when staff get busy, they don't necessarily take those extra few minutes. Yep. Um, intake sessions is a great example. If you don't have a true and thorough intake session with your hiring managers, you're spinning your wheels and you could be sending them candidates that they have zero interest in. Yep. It's, it's making sure that when we are busy, we don't lose the basics, the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Those are super important and in the end will save us a ton of time. And make us more efficient. You know, when I was in the Army, we had a saying, it's slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. When you would train to clear a room, there's four guys in a lineup on the outside of the door and they all go in the door and they all go a very specific direction to ensure that no one's weapon crosses each other. Mm -hmm. The key is, if you run, somebody trips and falls down and then everything goes slower. So slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm. Take your time to do it right so you're not redoing it three times later yeah i love that
0: you know and 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 you know it's it's one of the challenges that you know from from my perspective that has kind of with the development of new technology which we all get very excited about and, and i do want to talk to you about new technology and you know your viewpoints on you know machine learning and ai and how that fits into to the ecosystem and i'd love to get your perspective on that but one of the things that, that does happen to the recruiters, I believe, is they get forced into three or four different UX experiences. So I've got an interface for my ATS, I've got a CRM that I don't use, I got a background check portal, I've got to go over to LinkedIn and search, I've got to do this custom database to do my onboarding or whatever. And I think we, the leaders, right? And this is like a reflection on on me and and leading, you know, teams. Sometimes miss the 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 design elements, making sure that we're designing for that recruiter, versus designing for you know whatever we're designing for, right? Whether that's you know maybe a candidate experience or maybe a hiring manager experience, the the, the recruiter creates that experience, right? You know in in the end, and there's still very much so a need to have you know a human in the middle of that process, but you know I, I think at some level. There is this dichotomy at play with with all of the different point solutions and the reality that that an ATS even maybe in its full glory has a has a problem doing everything you need it to do. That we get them stuck uh, across you know the ecosystem, and so I'm I'm hoping that as time goes along that alleviates for them and and that we can actually get a recruiter you know into a an experience if you will from a, a workflow perspective that that actually. Allows them to perform at their peak capabilities versus getting them in in start stop and start stuck situations. And so, that being said, you know I'm just kind of curious as as you look at you know this ecosystem that exists today and you know really you know this push for machine learning and, and AI into the into the ecosystem in some very real practical ways. Are you excited about it? Are you nervous about it? Are you bullish on it? Like, what, what's your point on AI and machine learning in, in the in the talent acquisition process?
1: I am, I am overly excited about it personally. I think AI could help us in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So it can help us help us write, you know, inclusive yet engaging. Job descriptions or you know job postings, right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we see it all the time now. HR does not write job descriptions to attract candidates, right They don't use inclusive language a lot of times there there are a lot of times depending on the role and who wrote it they're 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 geared towards one gender or another a lot of times mm-hmm. you know so we can definitely use it in that aspect of things. we can use it to augment staff and automate repetitive or administratively burdensome tasks right you know we could have auto progression on candidates right Mm -hmm. you know you ask a bunch of the questions depending on how they're scored they're either rejected or they're moved forward to the next step you know we can do those simple things you know there's a lot of things that i'm excited about i am cautious about using it to screen candidates per se As far as it being any more than just the basic, if this, then that kind of screening, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you answer the bunch of yes, no questions. And if you met the requirements, you know, you didn't get knocked out, right? Yeah. That I don't have an issue with. But there are so many of these new laws that are coming out that if you're using true AI to screen a resume, that you're going to have to A, disclose it, B, show that it's not biased, all of those kinds of things. So the, the screening aspect of it, it makes me a little bit nervous. Sure. But I'm I'm not nervous to the point where I don't think we should be exploring it. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, and I use chat GPT all the time. Yeah. I, I use yeah. it to help me write blog posts, Sure. LinkedIn posts. I used it to help me craft a thank you message to my staff. Yep. Uh, you know, all of those kinds of things are great. But, you know, I've used it in employee relations issues you know we had an employee relations issue where i interviewed a number of people and i wanted to provide a summary back to the yep. person yep but i wanted it to be you know in a way that nobody could tell who said what so i literally copied and pasted in my notes into chat gpt and said summarize this yep yep you know and and so it's a great tool i think it's only going to get better i think it will in the future when we get to more of the content generation i think especially in imaging I think it has the ability to significantly help reduce spend on marketing content and imagery because we'll be able to just use AI generated imagery. And if we can get to the point where we can have that integrated into an ATS to where it can, you know, either take B roll footage and put together a video or it can put together you know, content and banner ads and all that stuff that can go right into our job postings. That way, we're not all just looking at ugly text postings. Yep, still, yep. I mean, it it would be great, but I really think that the biggest bang for our buck right now is going to be autom- You know, automating any kind of repetitive tasks that recruiters are doing.
0: Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. Yeah. And so, you know, interesting at HR Tech, I had a had a chance to sit down and and do a, a couple of podcasts with head of analytics at hardscored of analytics at and the head of marketing you know over at at, at paradox and so you know i I think your point on on kind of where things are, are are headed some of the main areas that that you know to to reinforce what you're saying that that we're seeing is you know up funnel opportunities right meaning you know hey when, you know, when we've got opportunities to write job postings, we've got opportunities to craft and be creative, that's always been a problem for us, right? You mm-hmm. know, recruiters aren't always writers, right? I too use, I use a, a tool called Jasper. I'll use it to help write this this debrief on on what you and I are talking about. I'll ingest the transcript in it, summarize it, use pieces of it. I'll still have to create it. I'll still have to formulate it and, and kind of get it set up, but I'll use it as a, as as a writing assistant. You know, there's other interesting spots, you know, as it relates to, you know, automation of of, of scheduling interviews, right? You know, that pull through is a very real laborious task uh, inside of the ecosystem. You know, the, the other spots that, you know, I, I get excited about is in and around us all, in, and especially in these large organizations, sitting on large databases of candidates that have applied, have expressed interest. But the reality is, is we just have a hard time cutting through that data, right? And so give me a tool, right, that's constantly watching that database and constantly at the requisition level, putting that talent back in front of me. Give me that tool as a recruiter. To your point, not screening it, but just suggesting who you know profiles are that maybe I should invite to apply or reach out or whatever. In conjunction at the rec level, don't have that over here as some pipeline or whatever that I'm not going mm-hmm. to engage in, right? And so I get very excited about that. The, the key piece of advice that I was given, and I've been given this advice twice, and I think you got to it, right? Which was like, you look at AI as an assistant to what I'm doing, but don't put it in a spot where it's got to make a decision yes. that a human should be making, right? So a hiring decision. Don't put it in a spot to make a hiring decision because that's that's where you're probably going to get caught in some trap that you don't want to be in. But use it as an assistant to allow you to get to the creative points of your day, right? Building more compelling job posting. Get to the point where where the human can add some value in a decision-making process on a final candidate slate or whatever. And so, yeah, I get, I get pretty excited about that as well.
1: Yeah, I, I really love the idea of, you know, you you hinted at it earlier, you know, and in the clinical world, we, you know, in nursing and stuff, we talk about it as operating at the top of your license, mm-hmm. right? And that's what recruiters should be doing. We shouldn't be having them pick off background checks, yep. reviewing, you know, those those kind of administratively burdensome tasks. If we can get AI to do any of that kind of stuff, it allows our recruiters to be on the phone or yep. out on the street meeting with local people. That's yep. where the magic happens. Yep. The magic doesn't happen in the ATS. The ATS is a necessity. Yep. The magic happens when we're talking to people. And that's yep. and that's what our staff want to do. Yep. Oh
0: yeah, recruiters are relationship builders for, fundamentally. For sure. They're relationship builders. That's you know, that's why you're in recruitment, right? The uh, the other interesting use case that that I saw and this was a friend at another large uh, health system, they're using AI to record so AI is basically listening to the pre screens and the interviews that they're doing, and then what it's doing is summarizing those pre screens. So the recruiter doesn't have to do that, right? So hey, I can focus on Rob while I'm doing my pre screen on Rob, right? And then it bucketizes the the feedback so I can package that up and move that, right? So that's a that's an interesting um, uh, use case. But then the the real cool uh, thing that 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 this particular company was doing was they wanted to make sure that the recruiter was articulating up funnel, right? Up at the very, very first part of their engagement with this candidate, the employee value proposition, locking them into the compensation matters a little bit. And so then he, as a leader, could then begin to understand of all of these phone screens that I'm doing, all of these you know interviews that we're doing, are, are we the re- recruiters, are we the team Evangelizing the EVP and then setting us up for uh, for a successful offer downstream, and so then what they were doing at the offer stage, which this was new to me and a new idea, but they were actually doing the, using the same technology to, in essence, listen to the offers. And so in the offers, what they were listening for from an AI perspective was, hey, did we relock uh, and load the the offer? Did we go come back to the EVP? and then begin to tie those two conversations together to help increase their offer rates and go back and coach like, Hey, Hey Matt, like, you know, I went in and listened to, you know, whatever. All right, I got the analytics in front of me here that, that that kind of shows your offer success rate. And so let, let's, let's understand kind of like how those conversations are going. And so using it as a coaching tool and, you know, that, that to me was just a fascinating use case that I got really excited about. So
1: I, that's fantastic. I mean, it, yeah. You know, yes, we're HR professionals, but we're also salespeople. Yep. And realistically, people shouldn't be making the decision on if they want to accept a job at the time of a job offer. Yeah. The ideal yep. state is that the, you've got that candidate so excited that all they need to hear is that the number meets their needs and it's a yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. You've been doing that's, your job on the whole way through. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That's that's the bread and butter. They don't need to think about it. If yep. that number meets their magic number, they say yes in a heartbeat. That's what we need to do. And yeah, that's where, we, and I think that's what we'll be able to get to, especially with this AI coaching stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think that it'll be upon the leadership, you know, the Mats and the Robs and the and the and the, the folks, you know, that are running the operations to be confident enough about evangelizing, you know, that that future state and and eradicating maybe some of the fear that when somebody hears AI, when a head of HR hears AI, that they don't get like, wow, is that going to get me in jail? Like, I just don't want to get in trouble for, you know, like, you know, so like being able to articulate those use cases that are coming up out of maybe healthcare or other industries, I think is going to be important for a head of TA. So, Hey, I know you've got a hard stop here. I just had a couple more questions for this first, first episode. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show here today. And my, my, one of my big questions for you is, is being a former clinician, right? And so you're, you're, you know, you're, you as, you know, in the army and and thank you for your service, you know, you've got combat medical experience, right? And, and so I'm going to make the easy leap, right? That maybe that's why you ended up in healthcare. Maybe that's what drew you to there, but I don't know if that's the right leap um, to make or not. But, but my, but my question is what, what, what do you think that recruiters that are not that didn't grow up on the medical side right what what do they what what do they misunderstand about healthcare like what are some things that like if you had a a, a you know a group of recruiters that you were training in front of you and they had never worked in healthcare before Like, What are some things you think they would need to know to be successful in that industry, coming from your perspective as a clinician?
1: For me, it's that while we do not take care of patients, everything we do impacts patient care. And to me, you know, I, I grew my my dad was a provider, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in healthcare from the day I was born. And I mm-hmm. and and so I have a little bit of a different perspective on it. But it's our job to make sure that we have the right people in the right roles at the right time to care for our patients. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. If we don't do our job, we don't have the right people to take care of patients. Patient care suffers. Now, again, we might not be doing the care, but everything we do impacts patient care. It impacts individual people's lives. And that to me is the most important aspect of healthcare TA. I
0: love that. Is there ways to, you know, as a new recruiter coming in, is there ways that that you like to help them understand the impact that they do make day to day versus being this administrative, you know, at an administrative arm's length if you will to that that real end outcome that that we're that we're
1: there for, it's get them in the get them in the facilities. Mm-hmm. I understand that most of us are remote these days, but bring them on site for yeah. for at least a little bit. Bring them on site, show them an orientation class where they can see people that they hire, and then pair them up with that person thirty days after they've started. Mm-hmm. And let that person talk about the patients that they've helped. Because that person couldn't have helped those patients if your TA person didn't hire. them. Oh, I love that. Oh, they that's, can that's great. really connect the dots. Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes a big difference. You yeah. know, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. We had uh-huh. a 504-bed level two trauma center in a town of 18,000 people. Mm-hmm. When I went to work in the hospital every day as the nurse recruiter, I knew him. Mm -hmm. I knew the patients, I knew the staff, I knew, I mean, it was my community. Mm -hmm. And and so you got to see that impact day in and day out.
2: Mm -hmm. You
1: know, I'd go down to the lunchroom for the cafe and I'm seeing people, not just staff, but I'm seeing patients of their family that I know personally. And we don't get a lot of that anymore. So I think it's really important for people to be able to come to the facility, walk through the halls and walls and see the impact that we're having on you.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: I well, I I've, I've never heard and I've been doing this for 23 years but I've never heard that that nuanced tip which is yeah like hey do a 30 day check in like that so so we you know we do that like you know do that for referrals right that'd be a good oh. you know re- check time to check in and hey rob how's your first 30 days you know do you have any referrals for me so I can go hire some more nurses or whatever but I've never thought to ask about their, the, you know, to describe a patient experience so that I could connect it the whole way back. Never thought about that. I think that is a huge it's, tip. So,
1: and it's hugely meaningful, especially, I mean, it, if, if they're coming in and they've never worked in healthcare before, mm-hmm. it's a huge thing. And it doesn't even have to be just your clinical groups, right? Yeah. I mean, how many IT people do you see walk down the hall that get dragged into somebody's call light? You know what I yeah. mean, because they happen yeah. to be there. Yeah. You know, it happens all the time—the patient interaction with non-clinical staff. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's going to happen to other people too, and it's just yeah. great.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that—that that is sage advice, and I—I I appreciate that. I guess you know, as we as we kind of begin to to wrap up here, and and uh, you know, again, maybe we can do a round two sometime. I'm I'm appreciative of your time and and thankful that that you're able to join us, you know, here today. You know, we've talked a lot about you know AI. And talked a lot about the team, and talked a lot about process. As you look forward, you know, Rob, is there any other things that you're excited about about being in healthcare, and and uh, you know, as as we are, you know, continuing to to you know solve TA challenges for healthcare, is there anything that you're particularly excited about as we as we move forward?
1: I, I, it's for me, it's it's the analytics and the tech because I do mm-hmm. think healthcare is behind the times in both. And that's not to be surprising. But as we catch up, and I think that as TA is continuously moved up in terms of the level of trust that the business has in us, and we're looked at more as that strategic partner, more and more and more each and every year, we're getting bigger seats at the table. And and I don't mean that in terms of title or position, because that's not stuff that's important to me, it's access. Mm -hmm. I want to know what are the plans because then I can work towards them. And that's what's really important. Because again, to me, if we're opening a facility three years from now, I want to know about it three years from now so I can start workforce planning to make sure that that facility opens on day one with no agency staff ready to take care of. patients.
0: Yeah, it's great. If uh, folks want to engage with Rob, are you out on LinkedIn or what's the easiest way to connect with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So go find me on LinkedIn. It's, my last name is spelled funny, so I'll spell it for everybody. It's R-E-N-N-E-L-L-S. and uh, You should be able to find me pretty easily there. On LinkedIn. Rob, we
0: appreciate you trenching in today, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right, take care. All right, we want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You also can find me out on LinkedIn, where you'll find quick show riffs, Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.